I'm delighted to be joined on Football CFB today by one of the best goalkeepers in the English Premier League in recent years. That man is Asmir Begovic, who's played at Stoke, played at Portsmouth, played at Chelsea as well. First of all, Asmir, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. The first thing I want to talk to you about before we talk about your life and career is one of the things you're involved with now that really fascinates me is you're involved with AB1 Goalkeeping, which is your own goalkeeping brand. And you've teamed up recently with a company in Scotland called Football Nation. Just describe how that all came about and what AB1 is all about. Yeah, absolutely. Well, about a year ago or so, I launched my own glove brand, uh, AB1GK, as you mentioned. And, you know, it's, uh, it was a project that was in the works for a while. You know, obviously, goalkeeping is my passion. And, um, yeah, just wanted to branch out of my own, start my own product. And, you know, the reaction we've had has been incredible. And um, Football Nation, as you said, is our exclusive retailer in Scotland now. And um, they're based in Edinburgh. Stephen Dowd, the managing director, has been great with us. So, you know, hopefully once, once things get get cracking here again, get um, get reopened, then we can really grow the relationship and um, grow our presence in Scotland. But so far, so good. And, um, you know, we're enjoying working together and building the brand. One of the things that really impresses me with the brand is the, the st style of the gloves is really interesting and really exciting. In terms of long term, what are your aims with it, with the brand? Well, you know, we're, we're looking to grow it all the time. We were hoping to release a new collection as well on top of what we have already later on this summer. You know, everything is up in the air a little bit at the moment. It's a waiting game. But we, you know, we think eventually we'll be able to compete, if not now, with the best already. So um, we believe our gloves will, will fit all ranges, obviously, from the top professionals to, to your amateur Sunday league um, goalkeepers. And I think we can really cater to everyone. And I think what also sets us apart is not only our look and quality, which is the highest level. You know, we believe our price point really goes into a good good spot that it, it, it can suit everyone and it kind of keeps everyone happy. So we're trying to cover as much as we can. And like I said, our, the reaction so far that we've had for our gloves and the goalkeepers, how much they've loved it, you know, gives us motivation to keep developing our product and grow the brand even more. I think in terms of the brand, something that I know if I was a goalkeeper that would interest me in the brand is the fact that it's your name that's been put to it. You are a goalkeeper, as we're going to talk about, that's played at the highest level. So when it comes to the standard of gloves at the elite level, you know exactly what you would be looking for. So that's why, for me, I think the brand will do really well. Yeah, well, that's what we found, actually. Some of the positive feedback is obviously being the association with myself and other high-level goalkeepers who have been in the game for a long time. And, and that, that, that obviously adds a lot of credibility to the brand when you see goalkeepers wearing at the highest levels. I think that's what kids, the next generation, can really relate to, as you, as you said, and um, have that little bit of a personal connection too, right? So I think it's something that, that we can keep building on. Um, I think it's something that we can, you know, we can really feed off as well. And that feedback for us has been crucial. So, you know, myself wearing at the highest level possible yeah, um, shows that everyone can trust in the glove and should trust in the gloves. Absolutely. And as I say, I wish you all the best with that. And in terms of the, the online social media presence, how do we access the gloves and how can we access um, yeah. the, the, the products? Yeah, well, we're, we're a little bit everywhere. Um, we, we, um, we're, our website is called ab1gk.com. So you can go there, check out all the products, um, everything that we have and all of our endorses and all of the latest news. And, of course, we're on all social media channels, AB1GK, simple as that, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, we're all there. And, you know, just send us 
messages where we get to, you know we get to reply to as many people as we can and you know uh, we're trying to grow the brand all the time brilliant and as i say for, for any young goalkeeper i recommend that and i'll make sure i put a link in that at the start of the podcast as well to go on to yourself asmir you're, you're someone who whose upbringing is, is very different to most you were born into the the old yugoslavia and then you went through the upbringing obviously in bosnia during a time that was rather troubled as we all know and it's been well documented what was that like for you and were you ever in any real danger yeah i mean obviously i don't my early childhood as you said i was born in bosnia um and soon after that you know a big conflict the war broke out and um my 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 family had to move away from bosnia when i was four years old and we ended up moving to germany and i don't really remember a lot from that that experience you know at four years of age i don't think you do and you know, we ended up spending the next six years in Germany and, you know, had luck struck again. And um, we, had, we had to move to Canada. And obviously that, that's a move I remember a little bit more and I understood how difficult it is for my family. And, but thankfully, we always had ourselves, you know, my parents, my brother. time, my second brother was born when, in Canada. And we always had each other and we always made it through these tough times together. You mentioned making it through the tough times and moving to Canada and remembering that. was. Do you have really fond memories of your time in Canada? I do. Um, I spent six great years there and obviously some crucial years. I think from the age of 10 to 16, you really kind of get formed and um, you make some really good relationships and meet some good people in school and everything else. And uh, yeah, I've still got some, I've still lots of friends in that time actually in Edmonton. And um, I, you know, I have nothing but respect for the, the country itself in Canada and a lot of people back home in Edmonton. When did you start playing football and the, the obvious question I've got to ask you, were you always a goalkeeper? Yeah, well absolutely. My, my father was a goalkeeper, um, professional back in the former Yugoslavia, which was you know, a very good level back back in those times, uh, late 80s, early 90s, you know, they were one of the powerhouses in football and um, my grandfather was also a goalkeeper and I guess you know I was a goalkeeper since the day I was born really, it was something that was in my blood and soon as I could really try and play organized football at the ages four or five, I was into it right away and only ever wanted to be a goalkeeper. That was my only plan and and um, never had a plan B and thankfully everything worked out. In terms of your, your youth in football, having moved around, as you say, from Bosnia to Germany, then Germany to Canada, did you start playing in Germany or was it when you got to Canada, you got properly involved? No, so the first... Um, Organized football was at the age of five in Canada, and I'm in Germany. Sorry, um, that's that's the first sort of year you can join youth football, and um, yeah, I started playing at the age of five. Never looked back. Really came through up, you know, through all the ranks in Germany. Continue that in Canada, and then you get to your teens, and 14, 15 is when my break started to come, and I was selected for some national teams and regional teams in Canada, and that's when opportunities started to come. But you know, when I go back. Yeah, almost 20 years now, I guess. Those opportunities were not the same that North American kids have now. I mean, the growth of MLS and the CPL and USL, the amount of opportunities they have now in North America are, are totally different than, than to what we had. You mentioned that the opportunities being totally different. How did your move to, to England come about? And obviously, you go to Portsmouth. Was it a case of coming over to the UK for trials or were you scouted to come over? Yeah, so like I said, um, 14, 15, started to get picked up for the Canadian national team. And when I was 16 years old, I was playing um, in, in a couple of international games. Um, 
in a couple of international games um, for Canada. I was scouted there. Uh, my agent, who's still my agent now, spotted me in a game in America and um, you know, gave my family a call. I had a few agents and people start calling me around that time, but this was sort of the most concrete and serious um, person. And yeah, he thought I could play in England, set up a couple of trials in, in England for me. One was Portsmouth um, and never had to go anywhere else. You know, within a couple of days, I earned myself a contract, a long-term contract. And, you know, that was the start of a really good relationship with that club. What was it like when you went into Portsmouth for the first time? Well, it, it was pretty cool, you know. Um, that's all I ever wanted to be. Like, oh, you want to go to Europe and you want to have a professional career. And there you are, 16, and you go into the academy. And, you know, it was a little bit um, a little bit of a shock to the system, a little bit apprehensive, of course. But this was all I wanted to do my whole life. And like I said, I went in the first day, hit the ground running. And, and for me, like, I, there was never a plan B. I had to make it work and, um, you know, put, put, put my mark on things in those first couple of days. And, Thankfully, the people of the club, uh, the academy director and the head coach noticed and and that uh, took me on from there. You mentioned the fact you were taking on and one of the big things about you is the fact that you weren't scared to, to go out on loan and, and play your football. And one of the things, again, that interests me with, with any footballer is when you're willing to go abroad and experience a different culture and you had a loan spell quite early on in Belgium, didn't you? Yeah, I mean, you know... That that's the way it takes you. Um, I had you know, turned professional at eighteen, did my two years of academy football in for Portsmouth, and then become professional. And an opportunity came to go to Belgium and and go on loan and and try that out and compete for a first team place. And I thought, you know what, well, that was pretty good for my development. It turned into a bit of a nightmare with the club going bust uh, a few months in and corruption, all that kind of stuff. But what it did teach me was again to stand on my two on two feet. You know, moving to Belgium, small town in Belgium not knowing the language, living by yourself in an apartment, looking after yourself was there, was important things that I had to do and go through. And I probably didn't think they were valuable then, but I remember, I think back at it now, I, I can only remember that as a positive now experience and having to go through these things. And then coming back to Portland, as you said, you know, many, many different loan spells at Macclesfield, Bournemouth, Yeovil, uh, Ipswich. It's part of development. You go, go through the ranks, start building up and, start gaining the trust of the people at the club where you wanted to play. And that was Portsmouth. You know, I had to show that I could play that level to the first team people. And it gets to a point where I remember my goalkeeper coach telling me, you know, it's, it's time for you to go, son. It's time for you to go on loan and, and make your career and, and build. There's only so much I could do with you in training. And either you make it or you don't. And, you know, I took that as a challenge and, and thankfully it worked out. You mentioned that it worked out, and before we come on to you breaking in at Portsmouth and making your debut, on those loan spells, Macclesfield, uh, Bournemouth, not the Bournemouth, obviously, that the club are now in the Premier League, Yeovil and Ipswich, you played, obviously, League Two, League One, Championship. What was it like playing at those levels? Was it very physical in League Two, and then could you notice a difference, a difference in quality as you moved up the ranks? Yeah, of course. I mean, and that's like I said, you have to prove yourself at each level. So, you know, once I ticked off League Two, then... I had to go with proving myself at League One. And then once I proved myself at League One, a championship team, you know, I think maybe now younger players get thrown into the deep end a little bit more sooner and get that belief a little bit sooner. Whereas back then, I think you had to really prove yourself. And every step was a step up for me, absolutely. You know, you're playing against better players, better competition, bigger stadiums, bigger crowds, bigger pressure, all that kind of stuff that comes with it. So it was all part of my journey. You mentioned the journey and, and being willing to go out on loan. 
because you're a goalkeeper and a young goalkeeper at that when you when you first go out, what's it like going into a senior dressing room as well? Yeah, it's intimidating, you know, and um, like I said, I was lucky enough for Portsmouth to be thrown in to train a lot with the first team from the age of 16, 17. So I was around it a little bit, but again, nothing can really prepare you. And that's where you learn. It's not just the on the field stuff, you know, playing and obviously making, making saves and trying to win games, making mistakes as well and learning from them. It's about what it means that our dressing room, um, having that presence and dealing with those guys, earning their respect, knowing what a result means on the weekend for their livelihoods and a win bonus and having to play football for your living, you know, and I think, that kind of stuff that you learn away from the pitch means just as much, you know, in most cases, as what you learn on the pitch. Absolutely. And, and going out and loan, as you've said, has been something that really helped you in your career. And that's been clear to see with the career you've on to have. Before we talk about coming through at Portsmouth, one of the things in your career I want to talk to you about is the Under-20 World Cup. You represented Canada at that tournament. What was it like being involved in the international scene at, at such a great tournament? Yeah, I mean, that, that was a really cool tournament. You know, when you think back now, I think likes of uh, Aguero, Vidal, Alexis Sanchez was playing in that tournament. Um, you know, that, that was a big that was a big stage. You know, we were Canada. We played in Canada um, at the time. So it was the first kind of tournament they hosted. Uh, we were underdogs, of course. You know, we were way be, behind the teams that we played. You know, we played Chile in the first game. You're playing against Arturo Vidal, Alexis Sanchez, and all those guys. And, of course, they tear you apart. So... That was, it was a great occasion. Uh, we enjoyed it um, for, what, for what it was, trying to make the best out of it. And, you know, that's part of going through those ranks. Going through those ranks, playing at those tournaments against those, those incredible players is something that can only help your development. You then, as you say, after the loan spells at Macclesfield, Bournemouth, Yeovil, Ipswich, go back to Portsmouth. You made your debut against Sunderland in 2009. What was that like? What do you remember from the occasion? Yeah, I mean, that was an incredibly special night. You know, I've been pushing, trying to knock that door down to get that opportunity. I've been fighting with David James. I got to a point where the club trusted me to compete with him. And I was his number two for a little while. And I kept pushing and pushing and pushing. And I'm hoping that opportunity came. And it came in that game. Uh, I had the last couple of games that season. Sunderland was a Monday night game on TV. My, my girlfriend was there. My girlfriend at the time was now my wife. And my dad ended up coming in just randomly for that game. He was planning just coming to the game before the end of the season. And next thing I know, a couple hours before kickoff, I'm, you know, I was told I'm playing. And, and Fratton Park is a special place when it's bouncing, you know, 20,000 people, always such a great atmosphere. And, um, you know, we won that game. And just for me, it was, yeah, it was one of the best nights of my life for sure. In terms of that great Portsmouth team at the time, who were the big characters and what was Harry Redknapp like? <laughs> Well, you know, Harry had gone and he went to Tottenham. He went to Tottenham, but then by that time, you know, he, um, he'd moved on. So we had Tony Adams after him and Paul Hart and Avram Grant was the manager um, who was there before. And Paul Hart gave me that opportunity in that, that part of the end, end of the season. And um, we, had some, we had some big players, you know, Sol Campbell, Peter Crouch, Sylvain Distan, Herman Ryders, and Glenn Johnson. I mean, what a back four. I was blessed to play behind. Um, so we had some really, really good players, some big characters, um, and it was just a big pleasure to play in such a team. It was a great team, as you've said. The club had a, a bit of a turbulent spell, as, as we all know, and you played, you broke into the team, started playing more, more and more games, but 
there was always interest in you. You were linked with Tottenham Hotspur, obviously Harry Redknapp had went there. You were linked with Stoke City as well. What was it like when, because at that point in 2010, it just seemed like there were so many clubs interested in acquiring your services. What's that like to deal with as a player? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, things happen very, very quickly. Um, I sort of broken up into the first team at the end of that 08-09 season. Um, over the summer of 2009, lots of change happened at Portsmouth and probably not for the better, financial troubles and stuff, you know, followed. But that 09 2010 season, I, I got my breakthrough. Started playing cup games. And then in about, I want to say, November, October, November time, I, I broke into the first team, played Premier League football each and every week. And, um, you know, 22-year-old doing that is going to create some headlines. And, of course, it wasn't it – was, it was new to me, all the interest and hype and all that kind of stuff and what people were expecting you. But I had really good people around me who kept me grounded and make sure I'd focused on my work. But, you know, January was a big month. Uh, Lots of interest, lots of teams came and, um, you know, I decided to go to Stoke at the end of the month because I thought it was the next logical and right step for me in my development. You were in talks with Tottenham at the time, but one of the main things I remember you saying at the time was Stoke made sense from a football perspective because you had more chance of playing week in, week out. Ultimately, is that why you chose Stoke? Yeah, exactly. I just thought it was... It was a better pathway for my development to further my career. You know, it wasn't about finances or anything like that at that time. And, you know, it was just to go and be somewhere where I can go continue my football education, keep pushing for, you know, team, first team place in the Premier League. And that's exactly what it was. Tony Pulis was great for me. He, and he gave me an opportunity to develop, um, held me accountable. And, you know, a few months later, I broke into the first team there. And after that, never really looked back. What was it like competing with Thomas, Thomas Sorensen at the time? Because he's a goalkeeper who's held in high regard in, in England and, and someone who's been around the block, especially, as you say, you were 22, 23 when you go there. What was it like having to try and wrestle with such an established name? I know you'd done that with David James at Portsmouth, but having to then go and do it again, what was that like? Yeah, I mean, that, that's what it's like at the highest level. You're always going to have two or three high-level high quality goalkeepers and Stoke was no different with Thomas. I mean, we had, you know, that was some of the best five and a half years of my life because man, we competed every day. We went at each other. We competed. We became really good friends. I think we earned each other's respect because we put in the work and, you know, try to better each other each and every day and each and every week. And, you know, it was on merit that one of us played and one of us didn't. And, you know, I think having that sort of a goalkeeper group plus, a goalkeeper coach, Andy Kwai, at the time, was one of the best coaches. Yeah, just, just made you better all the time. And ultimately, that's all you can ask for. In terms of Stoke, your debut at Stoke is, is pretty crazy in the sense that you have to come off the bench to make your debut due to an injury from Thomas Sorensen. I've always wanted to ask a goalkeeper this question, Asmir. Sees a goalkeeper when you're on the bench and there is an injury or something unexpected happens. What's it like having to go onto the field, especially in the Premier League at that stage? Because I imagine you like to have your usual routines before a game, which when you're on the bench, maybe isn't the same as, as, as knowing you're going to be start. Yeah, 100%. I mean, it's not easy. Uh, it's not easy, especially the second half, as you've been sitting there for a longer, longer time. I mean, I came in midway through the first half, so that wasn't too bad. But as a young goalkeeper as well, to catch up with the pace and the, you know, the frantic side of the game is not, is not easy. Um, it's easier for more experienced goalkeepers who've been there and done it before and doesn't phase you as much. So it wasn't easy enough at that time. You know, you obviously throwing against Chelsea, who were 
you know, firing on all guns. And I think it came in, it was 2-3-0 already, and we lost 6 or 7 nil at the end. And, you know, there wasn't much you can do, so you're getting thrown right into the storm. And um, But that's the way it is. You know, you can't draw these things up. That's what happens. It just teaches you to be ready at all times to the best of your ability. Your first clean sheet for Stoke was against Everton in a 0-0 draw. Just how proud are you when you, you keep a clean sheet, especially in the Premier League? Because I imagine for a goalkeeper, it's as good as scoring a goal, which we will come to later. <laughs> Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, that was a big game. I was, you know, trying to play the, played about three or four of those last games of the season that year, and that really pushed me off for the year after. And I think for me, that was, um, yeah, that was an important, that was an important moment. And I'll keep that first clean sheet for the club, of course. It's, um, it's always nice to get it in early and move on. And you know, we had a really, really good team, and you know, really organized team. So that was a really nice, nice moment. You mentioned it being a really nice moment. How nice is it when you 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 become the number one at Stoke because you're wrestling it with another established goalkeeper as we've mentioned, but when you finally gain the trust of of a manager like Tony Pulis to become his number one goalkeeper, what does that mean to you as a player? Yeah, well, it means it means a lot, you know. Um, you know Tony Pulis is one of the highest respected managers in the game, and of course, you know, you you try to earn your stripes each and every day, and. When you get that chance and opportunity, then obviously you want to make the most of it. And thankfully I did. And, um, you know, it worked out for, for many years to come. And uh, But it wasn't easy. Like I said, you always have someone wanting to take your space uh, and spot the team. And, and Thomas and I battled. We also had Carlo Nash. So we had a group that just fought and battled each other each and every day. And I think that, you know, as much as anything kept you on your toes and never let you, you know, rest up or take anything for granted. You mentioned not taking anything for granted, absolutely not. And as a goalkeeper, I, I'm always intrigued by this. You've probably had this question a million times, so I apologise in advance. But if a central midfielder makes a bad pass, the chances are the defence, the goalkeeper, could bail them out. Whereas when you're a goalkeeper and you make an error, more often than not, it will lead to a goal. Just, just describe the psychology of being a goalkeeper for me. Yeah, well, you know, you... That's one of the biggest traits of a goalkeeper, ultimately, is to be mentally tough. Uh, you know from an early age that a lot of pressure is on you and that one mistake is usually going to cost you a goal. And I think you have to live with that pressure expectation each and every each and every game that you play. And I think the, the sooner you come to terms with it, the better. I mean, it's not for everybody and guys fall off along the way because of that kind of pressure and expectation. So from that point of view, um, you learn, you, you either thrive with it, you embrace it, or or you don't. And I, you know... As you go through the years, you understand that mistakes are going to happen, and it's about how you react to them. You understand that um, you need to learn from them, trying to keep them to a minimum going forward. You mentioned keeping mistakes to a minimum, and that's something that you you certainly did. Is over the piece at Stoke, you you become the number one goalkeeper. You develop as the number one goalkeeper. One of the things I'm interested in asking you about, though, is the the situation that a lot of clubs seem to adopt now, where although you're the number one goalkeeper. A lot of clubs have a sort of the number two goalkeeper playing the cup matches. How frustrating was that for you, especially when the when the club got to the the final? Yeah, I mean, of course. You listen, you want to play every game. Uh, there's no, there's no doubt about that. Uh, you want to be number one. The guy plays every game and is the one counted on. And but that seems to be the the way to work. And of course, it's a team game, so everyone has to get their games. And you know, I was happy for Thomas. I was happy for the team. Ultimately, we wanted to be successful that earned us a spot in Europe the year after which was an amazing experience so you know ultimately it's the team above everything above anything else 
the team above everything else, and that sums up your character as a player. The fact that although you're not getting to play in that final, that's your attitude. So that's an absolute um, credit to yourself, to be honest with you. And to continue on the, the, the journey at Stoke, the season 2012-13, for you, you start the season conceding only 12 goals in the first 15 matches. You're in some great form. And then to top the year off, you sweep the, the table at the Player of the Year Awards. And I mean... As a goalkeeper, goalkeepers in general, in my opinion, if you look at the Ballon d'Or historically, don't get the credit they deserve. Just how proud were you to 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 win the Player of the Year awards that year? Yeah, that, I mean that was a huge season, huge season for me. Um, I sort of had the number shirt, number one shirt right at the beginning of the season, and I wanted to make the most of it. And that was, you know, the start of a really really great run for me. Um, no, it was a special special year. I, you know, I remember playing really well. Everything went went my way, and I was healthy. I was able to contribute on a weekly basis, and you know, to get all those awards was was special. Of course, I think um, you know to get that recognition from your fellow pros at the club, the fans, and everyone else around was was pretty awesome. You worked well under Tony Pulis. The club worked very well under Tony Pulis. However, a change of management comes in during your time at Stoke. As a goalkeeper, what's it like when the manager changes? Because every other outfielder knows that the manager might bring in new defenders, new midfielders, and, and to compete for places. Whereas as a goalkeeper, I imagine it could be more of a worry because if a manager comes in with a goalkeeper maybe he's worked before and wants to bring him in, I can imagine it could be quite pressurised. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, any change of manager brings uncertainty. You never know what's going to happen. He might you know, no fault of your own, want to bring other players in that, he, that he's worked with or, um, you know, worked under. And I think, you know, Mark Hughes was great from the first day. You know, he, he said, you know, I'm counting on you and um, I rate you and I think you're one of the best. And, um, you know, we had a great relationship from the first day. So for me, it was settled. My goalkeeper coach stayed the same. So that was a settled situation. So for me, it wasn't as big of a change as it could have been. Um, of course, you know, playing styles change and different managers have different ways of playing them what they expect from each player. So that's something we have to adapt to and, and work with, of course. But, you know, overall, nothing too much changed. And for me, it was, um, you know, it was, it was a really good time working with Mark Hughes. You know, I really enjoyed it. You mentioned the fact you enjoyed it. And I've got to ask you the question. As a goalkeeper, you're not expected to score goals. However, you scored a goal against Arthur Boric when he's at Southampton. Obviously, you went on to, to, to meet up with him again at, at Bournemouth. But... You scored the goal, which was in the Guinness World Records at the time for the longest goal scored in football. Just what was it like scoring a goal in the Premier League? Because I imagine that's not something that as a goalkeeper you maybe expect to do. No, it, was, it was a special moment for sure. I mean, I, I didn't really react that much at the time because it came as such a surprise and a shock. And I think now the more time goes on, I appreciate it. You know, I understand how big of a moment in history it was. And uh, to be able to write yourself into that history and be part of it. Um, yeah, it was pretty cool. Like I said, special. It's something I'll never forget. I still have the ball signed by my teammates. You know, that was um, that was a really cool night. And one of the things that I must say about Yasmir that sums up again, going back to the sort of class that you conduct yourself in, was I read an interview just shortly after that where you were asked why didn't you celebrate the goal, um, and you said at the time because I understand the way the other goalkeeper must have felt. So. I wouldn't have rubbed it in his face like that. Is that something that, that you're proud of in terms of the way you reacted with hindsight now as well? Yeah, of course. I mean, I think um, 
never want to show too many emotions on the field anyway, you know, but you always think of the other side. I'm a firm believer in the GK union. So, you know, I don't think there's any need to, to rub it in anymore or anything like that. So from that point of view, I think my reaction was justified. And like I said, um, you know, it, it meant a lot to me no matter what. And inside, I felt, you know, proud as punch, of course. And um, that's, that's the most important thing. Something else I want to touch on is you were the undisputed number one goalkeeper at Stoke for so long, but there was a spell when you got an injury. It was a broken finger and you're out for a while. What's that like as a goalkeeper? Because I imagine you panic and think, if the guy that comes in to replace me keeps, say, four clean sheets in a row, this could be tricky. Yeah, of course. I mean, um, you never know how that's going to happen. You never want to get injured and you want to get back as soon as possible. And, you know, I broke my finger at the worst possible time. It was on Christmas Day, you know, so that was a big run of games. And that's that middle part of the season that's crucial for any team. We were doing quite well, actually, at the time. And we were just getting in, going on the manager. And then you get you get injured. And um, it was a tough month for the team. I was supposed to be out six, seven weeks. and um, the team struggled and we, you know, we ended up end of January sort of being in the in a relegation zone and the manager said, you know, I need you to play. So um, I came back a little bit sooner. I had to wear some big plastic protective brace inside my glove, which was, which was um, quite uncomfortable, but, you know, you have to make the most of it and, and get, get, in, get in there and help the team. And um, thankfully I did make an impact, you know, we ended up having an unbelievable second half of the season after January and, the rest was history. But of course, as you said, injuries bring uncertainty. First and foremost, you have to get yourself right, get yourself to 100% as much as you can. But of course, the itch is always there to play. And if you can play and help the team, then you try and push that along as fast as possible. You mentioned getting back as fast as possible. That's something that you did. In terms of Stoke, you were the undisputed number one goalkeeper at the club. You were doing really well. There was speculation linking you with with plenty of moves elsewhere. The club were finishing in the top 10 in the Premier League. You were getting plaudits for being, for rightfully being a, a big part of that. You finish your Stoke career by getting a, a victory over Liverpool 6-1 that will never be forgotten. Steven Gerrard's last game as well. Just how do you reflect on your time at Stoke in general? I mean, nothing, nothing but positive. Um, for me, it was some of the best five years, like I said, that I ever had. Um, the way the area embraced me, embraced my family, we, we, we had a great time. We had a great time, honestly. It was, it was really cool. And um, I still have some good relations with people from up there. And it's always with fondness that I go back there and um, see a lot of these people. Um, but it's one of those where, from a footballing point of view, I, I always wanted to test myself against the best. And as you said, there was, there was speculation, opportunities that didn't come up. And um, maybe that was close to and I always wanted to go to the best and then at the time when you know I thought I maybe I'd achieved everything I could at the club um, you know it was time I think you know to kind of further myself and move on. In terms of the move that you make why did you choose Chelsea at the time? Well it was at the time because they were they were Premier League champions uh, there's Jose Mourinho and uh, Thibaut Courtois who was one of the best young goalkeepers in the world at Petacek leaving and you know, I, that's again what I said. I think it was going to the best team, maybe the best manager ever, competing with some of the best players. And I thought, you know what, this is the highest, highest you can go. And why not go there and see what it's like? I think I would have always regretted if I, as a competitor, if I didn't go and test myself at that level and prove that I can play at that level and contribute. So, you know, those, those are the main reasons behind, behind leaving. And, and, of course, just trying to win trophies, you know, be part of teams that compete and win trophies. And, and again, I think as an athlete and a competitor, that's, that's a big thing as well. 
Definitely is a big thing. And the reason the Chelsea move interests me and a lot of football fans so much is because you went from being the undisputed goalkeeper at Stoke to then going into Chelsea, where you mentioned you've got Thibaut Courtois to compete with. What's the situation that that like? Because usually you're in the position where someone else comes in to compete. So what was it like for you going in this time to compete with someone else? Yeah, yeah, no, it was it was different, you know. And like I said, I could have had different. I could have gone different ways in that summer. I could have gone to bigger clubs, arguably than Stoke or whatever, and been the number one. But I took on the biggest challenge. I just thought you want to take the biggest challenge, the biggest pressure on on onto myself and on onto the chin, I guess, whatever. But um, it was different because obviously you have to compete. You have to be a team player. You have to sacrifice for the greater good of the team, you know. But as we knew, as we knew at the time, and the manager said numerous times. You know, we need good players in every position and we need two good players in every position because we want to be successful. We want to win trophies and that, you can see his track record, that track record, that, that worked and you had to pay, you know, play a part for the team. When you had to play, you had to produce and there was nothing, there was nothing more than that to it. In terms of Josie Mourinho, what was he like to work with? I know he left quite, he left in that Chelsea reign when you were there, but what was he like as a manager? Oh, he was, he was the best, you know, he was, you can see that he was, you know, such a, such a top man manager, um, tactician, um, but he hated to lose and we all hate to lose. And when you lose things, things always turn for, for the worst, of course. And that's, that's the way it goes, but I really enjoyed my time. I learned a lot from him. Um, I have a lot of respect for him and, um, you know, I was, I was, you know, I count myself very fortunate. I was able to work with him. Working with him, as you say, something that you, you, you fondly remember and, how fondly do you remember getting to play in the Champions League? Because you, you keep a clean sheet as soon as you get into the Champions League as, as a starter. Yeah, I mean, that that's huge. I mean, Champions League is... I had a bit of a taste playing European football. Uh, for Stoke, I played in Europa League. I played the World Cup. But Champions League is awesome. I mean, some of the atmospheres, the games you go to, and everything that comes with it is second to none. Um, you know, grateful I was able to play those games. Um, Contributor said we went through the group stages and played PSG in the, in the next round after that and just playing against some of the best players. I think that's what it's all about. In terms of Chelsea, who are the big characters at the club when you go there? Because it's one of those things where a club like Chelsea have got exposure all over the world, as you know, one of the most famous clubs in the world, some of the most famous players. What were those? Who were the big characters and what were they like in the training ground? Yeah, well, you know, like every every team gets run in the dressing room by the players, you know, and I think you have a good core, good culture, guys that keep everyone ticking, put you know in the right place, and I think that's incredibly important. And you know, we had John Terry, Gary Cahill, Cesc Fabregas, um, Diego Costa. You know, those guys are were big parts of the team. David Luiz comes the next year, says us to the Quetta. So we had a good group. You know, you have myself. So we had a good good group of senior pros who set the you know set the lead, set the example each and every day, and. You know, if everyone buys into it, then then you're on, you know, onto some something pretty good. In terms of the second season at Chelsea, you don't really play as much as you'd like. Antonio Conte comes in, but you still make a couple of appearances in the league that season, and and the club wins the Premier League. You receive a league winners medal. Just just how proud do you look back in that season? Because to have a Premier League winners medal is not something that everybody gets. No, it was a special season. I mean. Again, you know, speaking to Antonio Conte before the season, he wanted me there. He counted on me there from one of my qualities on the pitch, but also my leadership off the pitch. And for me, I bought in and we all bought in. Um, 
you know, when a team's doing well, you have no complaints about playing or not playing. When you're winning 13 games in a row in the Premier League, it's it's an incredible feat. So there's nothing you can say. You know, it's it's about supporting those guys and making sure we're doing as much as we can and sacrificing for the greater good of the team. And that's what made that group so special. You know, to win titles. You know, we had a bench. We had a good second eleven that could play in most most leagues and be very competitive and do well. And that's what we wanted. We wanted to have that sort of team and club and played a lot of cup games. Um, you know, we went to the final FA Cup. We fortunately lost there. I could have done the double that year. But, you know, winning the Premier League was, was enough to lift that trophy. Again, it's, it's a bucket list moment and something we'll treasure forever. Absolutely. And in terms of your time at Chelsea, it was a successful time. Premier League winners medal to prove it, as, as we've just talked about. You played in, in, in the Champions League. You played in the Premier League for Chelsea. You played in various cup matches as well. Ultimately, in the end, was the decision to move to Bournemouth all about getting regular first-team football under your belt again and being the undisputed number one? Yeah, well, you know, it was. Ultimately, that was the main main thing, was to go play again. Um, I had two years left in my contract at Chelsea, and I was offered five by Bournemouth. And 30 years old, that security as well played a big factor in my mind and different things. But to go and play uh, the project from Eddie Howe and everyone at the club, what they what they were doing, how they were growing was, was yeah, it was very, very appealing. And I think just to go and play, you know, regular football in the Premier League each and every week, once again, was was very difficult for me to turn down. And, you know, I thought it was the right move at the time. In terms of going to Bournemouth, what was Eddie Howe like? And what did he say to make you think, I really want to move here? Yeah, like, you know, I think just his, his vision for the future, the project, what the club wanted to do and achieve, and I guess kind of, Establish itself as a as a Premier League club was was a big big draw for me. Uh, the journey that they had been on, I think, was was fun to kind of come and um, and join that as well. And the group and the culture they had down there, and I think just the way he looked about you know looked on football and thought about football was for me, yeah, very very appealing. Like I said in that moment, you know, it's something I wanted to go and be part of. You mentioned that you wanted to go and and be a big part of his Bournemouth team. What was it like when you go into Bournemouth at that point? Because you've got other goalkeepers, as you say, who are competing. Yeah, you go in and, and we had a good group there as well. Artur Bortz, Adam Federici, Ryan Alsop. I mean, it was a good group. We we fought with each other. We competed. You know, I, I knew what the situation I was going in as a number one. And you try and set that example, like I said, each and every day. And you try and push that group along, especially for the young guys coming through. And I knew what role I had to play. So for me, it was, it was important. I, I, you know, I cherished that role and something I took very seriously. You keep clean sheets as you always did in the Premier League during your time at Bournemouth. And I've got to ask you the question. Um, one of the games that you played in, which Bournemouth fans remember fondly, was a 3-0 win over your former club, Chelsea. Was that something that was extra special to you in the sense that you'd left Chelsea, you'd come back to a club, being the undisputed number one and been able to show the fans again what you could do? Yeah, I mean, that was a special night. I mean, that's one of the most perfect performances that I've ever been a part of a team. You know, when just on that night we were were magical and uh, what we were able to achieve that night was, was fantastic. I mean, you know, I, I had a great time at Chelsea. The fans were awesome to me in those two years. They still are now, so... For me to prove that I am, I didn't have to prove anything. I think they knew and we had a mutual respect for each other. I think that night will just be remembered for one of the yeah, the most perfect performances that I, I'd ever really been part of. 
One of the you're right in terms of Bournemouth, as I say, fans still talk about that performance now, which which sums it up. You talked about enjoying working under Eddie Howe. Ultimately, in the end, after a couple of seasons there, why did why did you then feel that it was the time to move on and on loan to, to first of all Carabag? What what brought that loan spell about? Yeah, well, I think things change in football very quickly. You know, I think the club wanted to move in a different direction. I guess we had every differences of opinion and all that kind of stuff and that happens and the club wanted to move on and I highly respected that, you know, I think it was, um, you know, for them, they had every right to do so and um, um, I respect the managers still to this day very, very highly but that's what came up. It was a crazy summer, lots of ups and downs of offers, rejected, things like that and last minute something like Carabao comes up and I know it, it you know, raised a lot of eyebrows um, but, you know, for me to go somewhere else abroad and go to Azerbaijan and experience something different was, Huge for me. Um, we were able to play in the Europa League as well, and you know we built up a nice cushion in the domestic league, and then play six games in the Europa League was was awesome. And again, another, you know, I think when you play in Europe, it's always such a nice such a nice experience, and that was a um, you know big draw factor as well. What was living in Azerbaijan like? Was it was it was it completely different to what you were used to, or because of your upbringing, having moved from Bosnia to Germany, Germany to Canada, is it something you were able to adapt to quite quickly? Yeah, I mean exactly from those past experiences, I was you know I'm able to adapt to different cultures very quickly. I can speak multiple languages, so I can always fit in with somebody usually. So from that point of view, it worked out really well. And to be honest, I mean what a cool four months I had there. I mean the city, the people, made some great friendships my teammates, some of the people around the town, um, uh, the, the, just the general people of Azerbaijan and Baku, I can't say, you know, high enough words uh, for them. So, I mean, um, I thought it was really, really cool. What was the standard of football like in Azerbaijan? Because, again, this seems like a similar story for your career. You keep a clean sheet on your debut out there. Yeah, I mean, the first game was against Nefci, who was our biggest rival, and... Um, that was a lot of fun. And, you know, the standard is much higher than people think. I mean, first of all, the facilities are fantastic. I mean, the training ground was brilliant. The pitches, I mean, took me by a huge surprise. You know, I, was, I wasn't quite expecting that, that standard. So they, they had a really good infrastructure there. Um, the club was well run. I mean, the coach was fantastic. The actual infrastructure of the club was great. So, no, it was honestly, it was, um, it was a lot of fun. The standard is much better than people, people give it credit for. And then playing the Europa League again was another big factor in everything as well. So um, I think they've played many, many, many years now regularly in the Europa League or Champions League. And I think that shows you the calibre of club that it is. Absolutely. And they are a club, as you've said, who play in the, the, the Europa League very regularly. So they clearly have a pedigree. Returning to Bournemouth following Carabag, how did the move to AC Milan come about? Because AC Milan are one of those clubs who... I mean, just saying AC Milan to me as a football fan makes the hairs on my neck stand up. For me, they're just one of the most iconic clubs in the game. Yeah, well, I couldn't agree with you more. You know, I had such a positive spell at Carabag, you know, and in January comes around again and my loan spell is up and you have quite a few offers for, from different things and different people and I'm weighing up my options and seeing what the next best step is for myself. And then that one day... Um, the AC Milan call comes in and, you know, like as you said, I think from then it becomes an absolute no-brainer to be to be part of such a club's historic club. Um, for me, it was an honour and something that I needed to be part of. You, you go out there and it's a, it's a massive club, some big names as well in, in terms of your teammates. What's Donnarumma like to compete with? Because obviously he's considered to be the next big up-and-coming thing in goalkeeping. 
phenomenal. I mean, for, for his age, for what he can do, it's phenomenal. Um, you know, for me, like I said, you embrace that role of going to compete, push him, contribute when you have to, absolutely. Uh, contribute in training, be a leader. It was the youngest team in the first half of the season. They wanted to bring in three or four senior pros, which you did with Ibrahimovic, Kier, and myself. And, you know, I think we've played our part in impact. And But Gigi, Gigi's awesome. I mean, his brother Antonio, we work well together, three of us. We have a really good coach and Luigi Turci and Emiliano Betti as well. So two great guys. Just a great group. Um, fun to be part of each and every day and, and working at a high level. I've got to ask you the obvious question. Zlatan Ibrahimovic, she's got a big personality. He's a big character. What's he like on the training field? Is he someone who, when he scores against you in training, likes to rub it in? Yeah, of course. I mean, he's a huge character. I mean, he definitely likes rubbing in when he scores, but ultimately a great person, a big, big presence, a big leader, sets an incredibly high standard each and every day for himself and his teammates. And, you know, it makes you want to be better as well as an individual. And I think we've, we've hit it off, you know, we're a couple of the older guys in the team with the kids and the family, so we can relate to each other quite well. And, um, you know, nothing but, but high praise for, you know, for what he's obviously done in his career, but actually firsthand seeing what he does, it's, it's pretty phenomenal. As a character, you mentioned the fact he's, he's one of the older guys, the same as yourself, got kids, you can relate to each other. Obviously, he's got this big media persona. Is he like that as a person, or is he more down-to-earth than, than, than the media portray him as? No, he's got a big persona, a big aura, absolutely no doubt about that. You know, he embraces that, that's his character. But ultimately, he's just one of the guys, you know, when, when, you, when you're in the dressing room, the banter, he takes part and gets, gets picked on just as much as anyone. And, you know, he's just a normal guy when, when it comes comes to the end of things. What's it like playing at the San Siro? I've got to ask you that question because just one of the most iconic grounds in world football. We know obviously there's yeah. the, 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 the expectation that it will be replaced by a new arena um, for both clubs or for, for one each, but do you just think, wow, what an arena, what history and what players have played there? Yeah, to be part of the club, you know, is one thing and then of course to be able to have San Siro as your home is another. I mean, it's just it's just phenomenal. The fan support, tradition here, the, the the sort of it's it's a religion for fans. You know, just just an amazing place to play your football. And I've been lucky to have a couple appearances now, and you know to to be you know I've been lucky to play at San Siro and represent this club for me. It's just a huge honor. Absolutely, and and as I say, I wish you all the best in your time at AC Milan and all the best in the future. But I want to talk to you about your international career because we talked earlier on about the fact that you played for Canada at the Under-20 World Cup. You've got a, a big connection to Bosnia. You've, you've always went on record as saying that. It's where, where you were born, where you, where you grew up in your really early years before moving on for, for reasons out with you and your family's control. When the opportunity came up to play for the Bosnian national team and get your, the chance to establish yourself as their number one goalkeeper, was that something that, that meant a lot to you and your family personally? Yeah, of course. Like I said, I went through the youth ranks in Canada and, um, you know, you live there, you represent Canada. There was no questions asked. Um, I mean, of course, I always knew that option of Bosnia could always potentially be there, but I couldn't make it myself. You know, I had to be called up and I had to have the option presented to me. And um, for me, when it came, of course, it wasn't easy in the fact that I'd built up such good relationships in Canada. But when you think of where, I'm, where I was born, my family, being able to represent them, I think also from a footballing point of view at the time, as I said earlier, Canada wasn't quite probably where they are now, and Bosnia was for me the no-brainer in that 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 sort of position. And um, you know, I, I made that decision. I went with it, committed to it, and it worked out um, really well.
It definitely did work out well. You were the Bosnian footballer of the year in 2012. You go on to play at the at the World Cup in 2014. Just what's it like playing at a World Cup? What's the preparation like, the height, the build-up? And, and I suppose the expectation, because when any nation gets to the World Cup, whether they're the favourites to win the tournament or whether they're one of the rank outsiders, you've got the, the nation on your shoulders. Yeah, I mean, you can't describe that feeling of winning the World Cup. I mean, just everything, the hype, um, that, that sort of month, six week was special. I mean, and that, that's why you want to be playing in these tournaments. Everything that comes with it is something you can't explain, really. You know, you have to experience for yourself. And the fact that it was our first ever major tournament, the fact that it was in Brazil, we played our first game against Argentina in Rio de Janeiro at the Maracanã. I mean, yeah, if if I just experienced that in my football career, I would have been happy. So, um, for me, the highlight of my career, no doubt about it. As I say, playing at the World Cup, playing for Chelsea, being the number one established in the Premier League now at AC Milan, you've you've had an incredible career, Asmir, and I wish you all the best for the future. I want to finish with a round of quick-fire questions, if that's all right. The first one being, sure. the best players you've played with? Best player i played with? Do I have to pick one, yeah? Or just... You can have a few. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, so difficult to choose just one. I mean, Edna Hazard, Cesc Fabregas, Latin Ibrahimovic, Alessio Romagnoli, um, top, top players, John Terry. The list goes on and on, you know. The, the, those are just a few to name. The best you've played against? Well, I've been, again, fortunate to play against all these great players, the likes of Aguero, Messi, Ronaldo, Ibrahimovic, Hazard, Lukaku. But... Just the one that gave me the most problem was the biggest problem was Ronaldo. I mean, I played against Messi a couple of times, played against Ronaldo numerous times, and just every time he can do everything, left foot, right foot, in the air, running behind, one-on-one, set pieces. He's just, an, he's just a big problem. Who would you say is the most underrated teammate of your career? Oh, wow, that's, that's a good question. I mean, I think a lot of the players that I played with at Stoke, the likes of Ryan Shawcross, Robert Hood, John Walters, um, the likes of Glenn Whelan a lot of those guys you know that are just unbelievable pros you know they do their job so well each and every week and I think a lot of that team was underrated uh, we achieved some big big things in that in that time and I think there's you know a lot of underrated players in that squad I think some guys at Chelsea for example the likes of Gary Cahill Cesar Spilicueta probably get a little bit go under the radar but just you know fantastic world-class players who would you say has been the best manager in your career so far and why? Yeah, lucky again. Um, Mourinho, just for everything that, that was about him, probably number one, but very lucky. Antonio Conte, Mark Hughes, Tony Pulis, Stefano Pioli here in Milan. I mean, just so much you can learn from these guys. And you know, I'll definitely be taking notes and maybe using it further after football. You mentioned after football, I'm, I'm kind of putting you in the spot here, so I do apologise in advance. Do you think you'll go on to be a goalkeeping coach or have you got ambitions to be a manager in your own right? I don't know. Um, I have a lot of different interests. You know, I hope to be playing for as many years as I can and absolutely leave everything on the field that I have. Um, you know, I, I love this game a lot, so I think for me, I want to be in it, stay in it afterwards. And what capacity, I don't know. I mean, you never know when that moment comes. You know, I'll probably worry more, more about my transition when the time I can feel maybe the time coming um, but yeah manager could be um, 
manager could be an option, coach could be an option, goalkeeper coach. Uh, I'm really fascinated by the front office, the sort of director of football role, uh, sporting director, um, being able to help put teams together, be that link between the board and the manager, put a great product on the field. That, that, that side of things really interests me. As you say, I've got my glove brand, my academy. So a lot of options, but, you know, we'll see what really, which path I really go down, down with uh, when the time comes. What advice would you give to any young goalkeeper listening to this? Well, I mean, there's the, there's the cliches of hard work, you know, that goes, that goes without saying. Um, but I think listen to your coaches, you know, um, a lot of even young goalkeepers, they think they know better. And I can generally say over my last 20 years, I've picked up from coaches when I was 15, just your recreative coaches and picked up something from the best coaches in the world. And I think you can always listen. You can always take something. You develop your own style as you go on and get older, of course. You know, I think I'm at an age now where I'm not going to change my style drastically or anything like that, but I can always improve. I can always take things on board. And I think it's very, very important you listen to your coaches and take those things that you can to add to your game as much as you can. And the last thing I want to say, Azmir, is thank you for joining me on the podcast. Thank you for sharing your insights into the game. And the last thing I want to do is, could you just tell us again how that any listeners can access AB1 Goalkeeping on social media and the website? Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks a lot for giving my brand a shout out. Um, it's AB1GK. It's my own goalkeeper brand. Uh, we've only been going for a year now, but you know, it's been going. It's been awesome. A lot of guys wearing it. People love it. Head, head to our website, AB1GK.com. We're going to have Football Nation on board in Edinburgh as exclusive on uh, as our exclusive retailer in Scotland. So we'll be growing a presence there. And um, you know, for us, it's 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 been an awesome journey so far, and we can't. I can't wait for the future. We're all looking for a better and more positive future and um, just can't wait to be part of it all. Thank you very much for joining me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. So we'll dive down to the ocean And we'll make our home in a deep sea cave And our shells will all be open They'll be filled with song, they'll be filled with song We'll dive down to the ocean and we'll make her home in a deep sea cave And her shells will all be open They'll be filled with song